This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action, with host Arman Shraki. Each week, Arman will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS Scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. I'm here with Ben Sibri, and he's the Senior Vice President of Research and Development at Civic Plus. Um, ben, welcome to this podcast. Thanks for having me, Arma. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, uh, what you do, and um, if you can also give us a little bit of history that how it started, that would be fantastic. Sure. Yeah. So I'm the senior vice president of research and development at Civic Plus. Um, so I run our hosting, our security, and our engineering teams. Um, and we have been around uh, in the industry for quite a while, um, over 27 years at this point. We started out as a company that was pretty small, based out of Manhattan, Kansas, um, doing web CMSs, building websites for local government. And um, so we really built our own bespoke uh, platform. Uh, that was our civic engaged platform um, that is specific to local governments and the needs that they have um, within their, their constituencies and everything. Um, we've since expanded way beyond uh, just websites to all kinds of different resident and compliance solutions from our civic experience uh, side of the house. We're focusing on residents and their interactions with local government in order to um, optimize and create those frictionless interactions. Um, as well as build as much trust between government and their residents as possible. Um, we also have a compliance solutions uh, side um, that we have as well, which uh, focuses a lot on freedom of information workflows, um, things like uh, archival of um, social media um, and other media that uh, governments might need to have on record um, for uh, retention reasons. And then uh, we also have um, some accessibility solutions as part of our compliance solutions as well to make sure that all people have access um, to the information that they, they need from their governments. That's fantastic. I like that kind of natural growth because then it allows you to deeply understand the exact needs that you know they have, you know, and then how to serve you know people around that. So that that's that's fantastic. Um, now, with regard to really what you guys do, I think um, there are different aspects we can look at it. But one aspect is uh, whatever service that you help local government offer to civilians and also everything that you maybe even offer on your side on their behalf, either way, it comes with uh, some factors to understand how impactful it is, how useful mm -hmm. it is. And uh, what is the process on your side to really make sure that what you do, they are 
going to use it and everyone as you said can use it it's just needs to be you know um and how do you measure that do you normally look at the data analytically using some technologies um what is the process on that side to really see the user adoption at the end of the day it's a great question so we go through uh pragmatic processes from our product strategy organization to really understand the voice of the market uh, before we start really pulling on any um, work within our, our engineering teams uh, to start building. So we work very closely with uh, clients, uh, our customers, and um, opportunities uh, that we have in the pipeline to truly understand uh, kind of what the pain points are uh, that people are coming to us looking to have solved. Uh, and then we look at it from a, a standpoint of there's a lot of different ways that we can solve this problem. Um, so it's really focus and fall in love with the problem um, that we're trying to solve. And then we'll build something around it instead of coming with the solution for a problem that doesn't necessarily exist. Then on the back end of, of all of that, once we've launched uh, something into market, we leverage a ver various different analytics tools, uh, whether it's like a Google Analytics or a, a Pindo or something like that. Uh, in order to really see the user adoption that we have, both from a, a municipal staff uh, standpoint of the of the employees that are actually into the software, interacting with residents or or doing their day jobs, um, as well as uh, other front end type uh, uh, analytics like Google Analytics um, to track resident interactions and how many resident visits that we're getting to our products as well. So we live in a different time now that we were living 10 years ago and 10 years ago of course it was different than 20 years ago so we are moving forward with technology much faster than ever before and these technologically advanced systems mostly they are in charge of automation in one way or the other mm -hmm. and in charge of making things easier making things maybe uh, more cost effective but also more specialized if you look at the cloud the way we do it today maybe 10 20 years ago we had to host everything right so mm -hmm. and then maybe even before there was no even option to host anything so we are going forward with that so as a result probably now you can automate a lot of things much better than before and you can help also local governments to be more efficient how do you see that in kind of new modern cloud age, the new cloud, the modern cloud that we have been, you know, working with it in the next last maybe five to 10 years in a very, very kind of, you know, secure way that before it was not the case, people were concerned about data being in the cloud. Now they feel like if it's on AWS, probably safer and the data is more secure then they keep the data on their side and manage it by themselves, for example. So many of these are just, you know, getting better and getting to the point that everyone can use it in a much better way, more standardized mm -hmm. more security from any aspect. There are more compliances and more um, rules that apply from data privacy, the same thing. So how do you see the efficiency has been translated in making to empowering or making local governments work better, more efficient? Have you seen that as a continuous trend that you see and in the future even local governments can do way better and more than ever before? How do you see that trend? And then, of course, after that, we can get to the point that now we are entering in a new age with this generative AI 
that is very hot topic now mm -hmm. and how do you see that may impact even pushing that forward yeah absolutely uh, that's a great question so i see kind of the shifts in technology really helping out in a, a few different ways um, one of them is just accessibility uh, to information uh, and scalability so as municipalities get larger as they have to uh, uh, serve more and more services online, leveraging something like the cloud, cloud technologies um, really empowers you to be able to have, you know, 24 seven access, uh, be able to hit large loads of uh, visitors uh, on your sites. So maybe you're hosting a big event um, and there's a lot of people here trying to sign up for something. Uh, just the ability of the cloud to um, really scale out really well is a huge benefit to municipalities that uh, we haven't really seen in the past uh, with all of that. Um, and then it's also, from a security standpoint, it's nice to have cloud providers that um, maintain those like SOC certifications and security certifications that are out there. Um, but it is also important to note that it is a shared responsibility between the municipality, the vendor of the, the SaaS software uh, solution, as well as the hosting provider to really ensure everything is secure throughout that entire uh, kind of chain of events that happen uh, when you're leveraging different software. Um, so it allows you to take advantage of large R&D dollars of those hosting providers um, to make sure that you have good secure infrastructure um, and then good training on your part to your employees uh, to really ensure that your employees have safe uh, practices with the privacy of folks information as well. Um, and then where the technology is really changing, it's, it's an incredibly exciting time uh, out there right now when it comes to generative AI because we're just seeing the technology change leaps and bounds uh, in a matter of weeks, not even months or years or anything like that. It's, it's, we could probably count the days uh, between some next uh, big innovation coming out uh, at the moment. So I think where, where that really creates a lot of benefit for um, our, our clients, uh, our customers, and the, um, just the industry in general of technology um, and even outside of technology, um, just on people who are, who are doing work, is it's really changing us from creators, where we have to create 100% of the content uh, ourselves, to curators, to where we're able to get a huge efficiency boost by saying, hey, I want to draft a memo for X, Y, and Z. Uh, it can draft you a first draft uh, of that memo, uh, and then you're, you become a curator of the content. You proofread it, you make sure it's accurate, you uh, change it into your own voice, um, and then you're able to really create a lot of really nice efficiencies for your day-to-day -day work um, within leveraging technologies like a generative AI. Um, so this is a question personally I'm very curious about because this is my personal kind of experience working with different, um, you know, websites that sometimes you know, I use. Uh, smartphones are getting more, you know, common, mm -hmm. of course, right? Nowadays, I see many people may not even touch their desktop computer mm -hmm. or may not even use a laptop, but all the time they're just using this powerful device in their, you know, hand and just using it. And I do remember in many uh, years ago when the internet started and everything, many of these websites, when I was trying to really go there with other devices, even other browsers, it was limiting me to a particular setting. From your experience, since you are in the middle of this kind of developments for local governments. I would love to know that, do you see the trend being in a way that mobile devices are being more than ever supported? And now from your perspective, is it like 50% we are there to really support 
or from your perspective, it's still, you know, there are work to do and still you are counting mostly on bigger screens and computers rather than mobile devices? It's a great question. So where we see our front end, uh, our customers, customers who are residents um, of the different municipalities, uh, we see a majority of their traffic coming from uh, mobile devices. Um, so mm-hmm. when we're building applications and uh, resident facing user interfaces, uh, we ensure that um, it is mobile responsive, at least, um, so that they can have a really nice experience interacting with their local government, leveraging our, our technology to, to do that. And it also becomes about accessibility at the same time. So when we talk about accessibility and, and compliance, it's not just about those with, with disabilities um, and empowering them to have access to data. It's about empowering folks of all socioeconomic statuses um, to be able to have access to that information as well. And we have a lot of municipalities that are clients of ours that will tell us stories about how there might be one smart home for an entire family, and that's their only access to the internet that they have. So if we don't build software and solutions that empowers them to have access to that information, we're leaving a large chunk of uh, residents um, out of the uh, equation of being able to have access to that information. Um, so mobile responsiveness, um, being uh, optimized for multiple devices, um, as well as being uh, EDA compliant is huge for us to be able to uh, ensure that we're empowering our customers to, to serve their customers. Um, when it comes to more uh, municipal staff, uh, we try to build everything uh, as mobile responsive as possible, but there are some workflows that are just a little bit difficult for you to do on a mobile device. Um, so we do have some specific uh, user interfaces that are um, a lot more workflow heavy and, and review heavy and stuff like that, that are built with a bigger screen in mind than just a mobile device. That makes sense. So definitely uh, when I say mobile device, uh, I'm just talking about the end users, right? Mm-hmm. So the power users, they still actually will be happier if you give them more power, more flexibility and they're absolutely fine to use a bigger screen and more pixels, but Mm -hmm. you're right. So when it comes to very end users, now you touched on the surface of another big topic that was more about um, making things self-service. When you say, you know, workflow, that means you are really making them, enabling them, empowering these maybe power users, not necessarily Mm -hmm. developers to really go there and change the workflow. And the more you make it, I would say no code, low code, the, may, the way you make it easier for non-technical people, but it's still you give them enough power, then more power users that probably in the market you serve are more available than just you know counting on developers to take care of everything. That's a big part of it. Have you seen that kind of low code, no code, and self-service as a trend that you have seen? It's getting more and more into the kind of things that you do and making that available to your customers mm-hmm. on the local government level? Yeah, we found a lot of um, really nice benefits to having a low-code uh, platform, LCAPs uh, is what they're they're called in the, uh, the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have one that's called Civic Optimize uh, mm-hmm. that we uh, have in our own toolkit. And it's a fantastic tool for being able to um, take bespoke workflows, tie them into other processes, and uh, really kind of um, innovate around uh, those create efficiencies, replace pa- paper processes, 
um, and just really uh, leverage it as, a, as an automation tool uh, within municipalities. Um, what we've found is with uh, different client bases, uh, we might have client bases that have um, programmers uh, on staff uh, that might be want to might be want to doing some some scripting and, and stuff like that within the the tools themselves. So it is a low code tool, uh, and we try to make it as no code as possible, but it, it still does have that uh, SDK uh, that comes with it. Uh, if folks want to leverage that, but then we also try to take um, things and make them as as WYSIWYG as you can, which is what you see is what you get. Drag and drop functionality for different integrations between systems. Um, we have an integration hub that leverages what we call nodes, uh, which you can drag a node out like uh, uh, Power BI um, or uh, Microsoft Power Tools uh, to integrate directly with our products in a very non-technical way. Um, and then uh, kind of all behind the scenes, it's uh, you know taking all the webhooks and and JSON and everything uh, responses that we're getting from those uh, and, and taking action upon it. But from an end user perspective, it doesn't feel very technical how you're building it out. Um, now we, you know, used to be, um, I'm talking about now many decades ago, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is a database, let's say named Oracle and everyone in the world and all of the, you know, big databases, everyone is using Oracle. So that's the, Kind of a few choices in the market and all of them are relational databases and all of them are rows and columns um, and then you go there and just use one of these very well known databases and every data goes to one of these databases and done this is not true anymore right so now you have plenty of options you have no sql you have sql you have relational you have uh, json data some data is not even you know, structured, now you have a lot of unstructured data. So what is the landscape on the data side that you see as a trend within that market that you guys serve? Are they using some particular data sources automatically because that's the norm of the market for that market? Or you don't really, you see every type of data storage repository that you can imagine is very, very fragmented. We see a lot of different uh, things within our market. It just depends on the, the customer themselves and kind of where they are on their journey of, of modernization. Um, you know, once in a while we run into somebody who's still running an AS400. Um, and sometimes, you know, we're, um, you know, hearing of really cool cloud adoption and, and uh, generative models and, and things that uh, municipalities are leveraging to really serve their residents and, and take a look at, you know, how do we um, address uh, vandalism or graffiti or um, making sure that folks uh, who are in underserved uh, communities have, uh, you know, fresh batteries in their fire alarms and, and items like that. And we found um, that we have uh, one client in particular um, who does a really good job of that and it, they call it Operation Clean Suite and they go through and they just really go in and they just build up weed people's yards, they replace a uh, you know, batteries in, in, in those different uh, smoke detectors. And they, they leverage that with a lot of the data that they see. And they're looking at both kind of hot spots in that data, as well as cold spots in that data, because no calls coming into a certain area is also kind of something that might mean that there is something that needs to be uh, fixed, or maybe we just need to educate people on the services that are available. So I think from a, a data perspective, um, you have a lot of different silos of information. Uh, throughout every um, customer that we have. 
Um, we have a lot of different styles of information uh, within our, our own organization as well. And there's really nice technologies out there right now that let you take very structured information and very unstructured information um, and create uh, insights uh, based on those. Um, generative AI is a fantastic uh, tool that can be used to take a lot of that unstructured content uh, and create some structure around it by uh, it is figuring out what the intent is that you're asking, uh, going through and looking at all this different training data that it has and then pulling back something that is uh, what is hopefully coherent uh, within um, the, the models that we have um, built out. And uh, back to that topic that you mentioned, the AI, uh, what do you think, you know, might be the challenges of using it responsibly and in a way that, you know, uh, we can make sure that, you know, you expose it, but at the same time, it's going to do well for, you know. Yeah, yeah, there's a, especially working in government, you want to do everything you can to build trust with your residents. Um, so really having good ethical practices and policies in place for how you leverage AI within local government or how your vendors are leveraging AI within their technologies that you are using uh, is incredibly important. So data privacy and security risks are, are huge ones. So encrypting data uh, at rest uh, that is sensitive information, uh, maybe even using synthetic data or um, anonymizing uh, some of the sensitive information that you have mm -hmm. before it goes into those models will help uh, really with a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's bias and discrimination risks that come with uh, training data as well, mm -hmm. where you want to ensure that you understand all of the data that you have. Does it reflect what uh, your morals and, and ethics are? Um, mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, that means you might need to take a look at the data that you have, figure out where there might be bias in it from um, anything historical uh, that may have happened. And uh, over under sampling uh, data uh, specifically to, to counteract that potential bias that could be in the training data um, or have an algorithm that can uh, search and potentially flag things that might be uh, um, bias or uh, potential uh, ethical uh, issues uh, within that data itself. So I think that's really important. And then really being able to transparently explain how um, the AI model is being leveraged. Because um, AI and the algorithms that are used behind it can be so complicated. It is really difficult to explain uh, in terms that, that everyone can really understand what is happening behind the scenes with that model. Um, and with wanting to build the trust with your residency um, that you have, you really want to ensure that that is an incredibly transparent and explainable model that you're leveraging um, so that there's no ambiguity as to what's happening behind the scenes. It used to be, um, you know, you go to a city, if you're a business especially, you go to a city that has enough and offers enough infrastructure. And of course, when those businesses come into those cities, then people come because they create jobs and then mm -hmm. the city expands. Nowadays, the digital infrastructure is also part of it. It's not just the airport you have. It's not just the highways you have. It's not just the electricity you offer that's stable and everything and the water system, but also, you know, what the city offers with regard to the digital infrastructure. So I recently moved to Austin, Texas. And I could see that, for example, as a, you know, just somebody who's living, who has moved here, then I need to move 
you know, a lot of, I need to register now my car, mm -hmm. I need to do these kind of things and a lot of stuff that you have to do. And honestly, looking back at my previous move that was some years ago, and I lived, you know, maybe way back in DC area for 24 years. And then after that, California, and now moving to Texas, that how great improvements have been made by cities and everything, how now the digital transformation, I can see it as a person that, uh, you know, has that kind of firsthand experience that you go there and you just wanted to register, for example, whatever your car or something. And then all of a sudden you see, oh, I did it this way some years mm -hmm. ago. And it, for my father in Florida, I did this some years ago. I did it for, and now obviously that is happening. And then that becomes by itself the infrastructure. Uh, the digital infrastructure, and if they, they maybe different cities, they are different, not just from mm -hmm. physical infrastructure, but they are different from each other, the way that they look at the digital world. Mm -hmm. And I think the ones that are smarter and do better on the digital side, they can gain a lot uh, during this particular you know, economy. So, so that's really maybe another aspect. Have you seen that? kind of perspective and that vision happening now. So in the cities, counties, and then when you go there now, they are thinking on both sides, not just thinking about the physical infrastructure, but also they are starting now staffing and thinking and strategizing and planning on the digital side as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we have some cities uh, that do some really cool integrations with some of our products uh, around different smart city initiatives that they have. Um, so a great example would be using flood sensors um, in order to uh, integrate directly with our, uh, we have a 311 application, C-Click Fix, um, and it will automatically create a work ticket um, if a flood sensor gets tripped for somebody to go out and, and see if, uh, you know, there's flooding or, or something that's going on in that area. Um, and for municipalities that have a lot of flooding, that can be a really nice benefit to them to be able to proactively get out there before a resident has ever even submitted a complaint uh, that there might be flooding or, or something in those different areas. Um, they, we've also seen um, some municipalities uh, get some really nice efficiencies out of leveraging uh, chatbots with, uh, with artificial intelligence behind them mm -hmm. in order to really help with a lot of those questions that are coming in. Um, so we've seen municipalities who are able to um, uh, cut some of their operational costs by about 30% by leveraging a chatbot. Mm -hmm. um, and that chatbot can answer about 80% of the incoming routine questions that are coming in, such as, I just moved here. What all do I need to do mm -hmm. uh, within you know, 30, 60, 90 days of moving to this new city? Uh, mm -hmm. Whether it's registering a car, whether it's uh, you know updating your license, if it's a new state or, or something like that. And it could be able to give you the information you need to self-serve um, so that you can have it as quick as possible. You don't have to get in your car and drive anywhere to ask somebody in person. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, uh, you can interact with government kind of in your own way by doing that. Fantastic. Um, so from your perspective, you look at these and then you say, okay, if I wanted to, in my mind, set my priorities and say, these are the things that in the in the next five years mm -hmm. that I would like to see improving, changing. I would focus if you know I wanted to, you know, decide for these cities to become more digital, become more mm -hmm. automated, become more self-service, become more 
you know, in any way that at the end it benefits people over there, what would be the main initiatives that you would think of? And you would say, these are the top five, top three, or the single top item in my mind that I would focus on for the next five years. And I think mm -hmm. it has the most potential to really help people. Yeah, I think there's so many different things that you can choose as an answer to that. Uh, so it's a, it's a fun question. Um, I think cybersecurity is probably number one. Um, it's always an arms race to uh, ensure that you're staying one step ahead of people who want to spread misinformation or, or break trust within local government. So cybersecurity, I think, is definitely a, at the top of the list. Um, I also think um, really being able to bring accessibility to folks as well, whether it's um, through ADA um, or through uh, different devices and interaction points. Some people want to walk in in person and have that in-person interaction. Some people never want to get up off their couch. Um, and so we need to be able to really allow residents to engage and get efficient access to information uh, in the way that they want to engage with their uh, local uh, municipalities. And that will really kind of allow us to, to help really build more and more trust uh, within uh, government and, and their constituencies. Um, so as we, we've seen some correlated data um, that we, we've done um, through uh, surveys and, and other information that um, other uh, vendors that we've, we've worked with, um, that the more and more digital services that municipalities um, are supplying to the residents, the higher the trust is. Now, it, it looks like it's correlation right now. We're hoping to prove uh, at some point that it, there is a causality between that. Uh, but having more and more ways of interacting with your government um, in the way that the residents want to and access to that information um, really helps, uh, in my opinion, to build a lot of that trust. Fantastic. Um, so I would like to ask you, um, as my last question, if you have any book that you would like to recommend, something that you liked it and you think people may enjoy? Yeah, I really... Um, from a, a business standpoint, I really enjoyed the book, The Power of Little Ideas. It's uh, by David Robertson, and it's really about taking um, a mature product line and creating value by innovating around it uh, as an ecosystem. Um, so it really goes into some really nice uh, examples of uh, ways that people have innovated around even something like Lego uh, in order to um, create more value for Lego um, and therefore more sales and more um, enjoyment uh, that the folks who are using Lego uh, can have, whether it's creating a backstory for it, uh, whether it's you know, changing the way that it's delivered um, or just some of the different ways that folks interact with it. Uh, and so it has a ton of different examples in there um, of different ways that folks have done this, uh, this innovating around a, a core competency. And uh, so it's really nice for established players to make sure that they're really really uh, focusing on providing new value uh, and constantly innovating uh, without uh, uh, cannibalizing their, their bread and butter market. Okay, fantastic. Um, thank you very much, Ben, for being with us. Uh, I enjoyed speaking with you and wish you all the best. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, Arman. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening.
This episode is brought to you by Curvey, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curvey.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.